Thank you. The scripture reading this morning is going to come from Hosea chapter 14. Um, but before I jump into that, I, I want to tell you a little bit about what we're doing. We're starting a new sermon series today, and we're going to be looking at the minor prophets. And the question that I want you to kind of be thinking about as we look at each of the minor prophets over the next really for most of the fall, is where do we see Jesus in the minor prophets? So each week we're going to take a different minor prophet. So if you haven't ever spent much time in the minor prophets and you come every week, you'll have some kind of familiarity more with the minor prophets. But the minor prophets, it's a different group. You know, you have the major prophets with Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel. And then the minor prophets, they're smaller books, they're more concise, and they usually have kind of less, uh, you know, there's like a main point to them in a way that the major prophets are more broad. But if you, wherever you are in the scriptures, whether you're in the Pentateuch and the first five books of the Bible, or you're in the history books with Chronicles and Samuel and Kings, or if you're in the poetic books with Psalms and Song of Solomon and Proverbs, you know, the different wisdom literature, or in the Newer Testament, they're actually, all of them, connected. Now, they all have a theme within them. It's kind of like primary colors. Um, I had a recent discussion with my sons about what the primary colors are. Do you know what they are? You know, of course, you, you think you do. Um, but if you look it up, it, the way we think about primary colors is more about art than it is about the science of the actual colors. You can't actually make every color with just three colors. I know this is news to some of you, um, but, but you should look it up. There's a lot of theories on this. But what they say is that the human eye can see a thousand times a hundred times a hundred um, t- uh, um, uh, different types of colors, so 10 million. Thousand different shades of darkness, a um, hundred different levels of red green, a hundred levels of red blue. But in general, for the sake of argument, you can make almost all of the colors with only a very few colors. And the point is, is that every single color has in it a primary, something that's sort of the main thing above the rest of what's present there. And in the scriptures, there's a primary color. The story of God pursuing his people from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation is the primary color of the scriptures. It is his story. It is the history of redemption. And so we're going to be looking at Hosea this morning, and we're going to be asking the question, where do we see Jesus in the book of Hosea? It actually addresses him quite specifically with prophecies. Um, But, so let me read this, uh, Hosea chapter 14, and I'm going to read all nine verses. Hear the word of the Lord. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all your sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say of our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. And Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. 
The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, when you think about Hosea, what's the, what's the main point of Hosea? Well, if you look at the sermon title, this is kind of what I'm wanting you to take away from it, is that Hosea is about the incomparable love of God. It, it is about the depths of God's love, and it's, it's, it's more impressive than maybe you've ever thought of if you don't really know the story of Hosea. Um, in some ways, you read it and you wonder if it's real. And I want to tell you about a story that, though it's not real, and it's, re- it's really funny, there's actually a compelling kind of love in this story. Um, in 1605, Miguel de um, Cervantes wrote a book called Don Quixote, right? Maybe you've, you've heard of this book. Um, Don Quixote thinks of himself as a knight. He, he views himself as a knight. He sincerely believes it. But the reality is, is that he was irritating the innkeeper, and he said, you know what? You're a knight, be gone, you know, go and conquer the world and do what you need to. And Don Quixote said, well, yes, I am. I'm now a knight. And he gets his neighbor to come and be um, his uh, little squire who's, who he doesn't, he, his, his neighbor, Sancho, knows that he's not really a squire. And he knows that his, his friend is a little bit strange, but he just kind of rolls with it. And he goes with him. And they go off on these journeys. They go to slay giants, which are windmills. And um, one time they come across a lady who's in a carriage, and Don Quixote sees her and goes, oh my goodness, you're surrounded by enchanters. I have to free you. And so he goes over there, and he tries to free her, and she comes out, and she's like, what's going on? And she explains. And his friend, Pancho, or, or Sancho, is, is kind of watching this, and he continues to be faithful and to love Don Quixote. Uh, he continues to, like, sort of try to make things go smoothly as he can, and it becomes quite humorous and satirical. Well, the woman gets out of the carriage, and she says, okay, you know what, enchanters, please escort me home. In reality, they were just her guards, but she sort of just plays along, and everybody's playing along with Don Quixote, um, and the guards, the enchanters are now able to escort her home. But what's really compelling about the story um, of Don Quixote is the faithfulness of, of this friend he has, Ponza who, no matter what, is faithful to him. No matter how goofy Don Quixote is, he loves him. And it, it's, it's actually, it's like the lifeblood in some ways of the entire story. He considers Don Quixote worth being loved despite how odd and strange he is. Now, I'm not saying you're odd and strange, although maybe some of you might be odd and strange. Um, but the kind of love that God has for us, there is nothing like it. It is incomparable It is the kind of love that brings dead things back to life. It's the kind of love that once you begin to receive it and accept it, it begins to transform how you view other people and how you view even yourself because you begin to realize you are loved with an incomparable love. Now, what's so compelling about it? Well, what we're going to do is I'm going to reference some different points in Hosea to kind of get you up to date on the story. But the three big ideas of what I want want to discuss are the story of um, Hosea and Gomer, and then the story of the Lord and Israel, and then the story of Jesus and us, okay? So Hosea and Gomer, the Lord and Israel, and then Jesus and us. And let's start with Hosea and Gomer. Now Hosea begins his ministry um, in the 8th century B.C. You've got to know some context to make sense of this. 
In verse 1 we read, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Barry, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. Hosea's influence was, was wide, both across the northern and southern kingdom, Judah and Israel. But during this time, sort of the, the experience of the people, in some ways it was similar to what we experience. They had social unrest, a lot of social unrest. Hosea chapter 4 verse 2 says, There is only cursing and lying and murder and stealing and adultery. They break all bounds. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. There was corruption. There was a gap between the rich and the poor. Like There was a lot of social unrest during this time. There was political unrest. In 745 B.C., um, there were five different kings who ruled for 12 years, and four of them were assassinated. Like it was a tough time to be a king during this period. They lived in constant fear of being taken um, into captivity by Assyria. So there's great political unrest. They're afraid about their borders. There's corruption within as these kings are being assassinated. Social unrest, political unrest, and yeah, there was religious unrest. God had entered into a covenant with his people. And, he, and the people are completely ignoring who God is. And, and I know what it's like. this is like. I know what it's like to, to know what God wants for me and then to ignore it. You know, to know God wants me to be honest or know God wants me to be gracious or know God wants me to love in a situation that's difficult and then say, nope, I'm not doing that. Like, I understand that. But this is like, this is severe in a real way so much so that God sends the prophet Hosea to speak to the people. Hosea verse 4 Uh, Chapter 4, verse 1 says, There's no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. No acknowledgement of God in the land. Hosea chapter 5, verse 4 says, Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. Now we're getting there. Like That's that's a pretty intense thing thing to say. So for 60 years... Hosea is the mouthpiece of God to these people. And in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, we read about how God actually calls Hosea to this task of speaking to his people. Chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, not like an adulterous wife. Um, This land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she, she conceived and bore him a son. And so God very specifically calls Hosea to live into something that is going to be an expression of his love for his people. Someone deemed unfaithful. So Hosea doesn't just get, get to be the mouthpiece. He actually has to live what he's actually saying is true. And do you know what that's like? Now, some of you know that I skateboard sometimes, and I'm here to tell you, if you're going to tell someone you're going to drop in on a bowl, which means putting your skateboard on the edge and dropping in vertically and going down, it's one thing to say it. It is entirely another to actually do it. Because you get the skateboard on that side of that bowl, it's about an eight-foot drop, and in order for you not to smash your face on the concrete, you have to completely commit and you will be facing the concrete. And if you're not real confident of what's happening, you're probably going to bail. You might lean back. You're going to hit your head. You might lean forward. You're not going to remember what happens. But you, it's one thing to say you're going to drop in. It's entirely another to say, yeah, I can drop in over at Bear Branch or you know, wherever you skate. It's one thing for Hosea to say, listen, you're all being unfaithful. And 
You need to love one another no matter how hard it is. You, You need to seek God above all else no matter the cost. And then the Lord calls him into actually doing it. Hosea would have had to marry someone who had a reputation of being promiscuous. To be the faithful prophet who marries someone who is a picture of what we might think of as something that is unfaithful. Imagine the shame he would have felt. You know, imagine the words that he would have heard um, being said about him. He had to go into a market in one place in the book of Hosea and buy his wife back. And she would have been laid bare and he had to pay 15 shekels and like 10 bushels or something and then clothe her and take her with him. There's nothing he didn't have to sacrifice. He became a living spectacle as her husband. In other words, there was nothing about her that would prevent him from loving her. Now, I need to say this a few times this morning, okay? So please hear me when I say this. Hosea is not a marriage manual, okay? Hosea is not a treatise on what kind of morality you need to now seek. It's not even really a commentary in a lot of ways on things that you might think are being commentated on. Of course, there's a lot of common things that are true here, but this is actually a book that is entirely about Hosea embodying God's love for his people. That's what it's about. It's a story about God making visible, tangible, and accessible the incomparable love of the Lord for his people. It's about his commitment. You know, we live in a world that sort of operates on commitment, right? People let you borrow money because you're going to commit to pay it back. They let you borrow money to buy a car because you're going to commit to pay it back. We make commitments to one another in marriage. I mean, even the little commitments, when someone asks me to do something, if I forget and I genuinely do, um, I feel bad about it. Even though maybe it's completely understandable, I'm like, ah, I I said I would do that and then I didn't. I I don't, you know? We're made for truth. We're made for reality. Uh, To put it another way, we're created in God's image, and God is a God of truth and a God of beauty and a God of love and a God of faithfulness. And so when we don't embody that, we feel it in our souls. Hosea is being called to live into loving someone that you would think he would discard. And God is showing us that there's no one that he will discard. Gomer was the epitome of unfaithfulness. It cost Hosea money to keep her, resources to keep her, reputation to keep her, dignity to keep her, possibly even disease. To stay married to her, it took, there's nothing he was not called to give in order to be married to her. Now again, please hear me, this is not a marriage manual, okay? That's not what this is. We can learn about marriage, of course, in some ways from this, but it's primarily about us doing business with the fact that God loves you so much that you're barely going to be able to fathom it. His love for you is so comprehensive and it is so unwavering that it's going to be hard for you to believe it. But he's chasing after us understanding his affections for us, even to the point of calling Hosea to live into this story. It is an, it is an uncomparable, incomparable love that God has for us that we have access to by grace and through faith. He's capable of loving us like that. Who loves you like this? As much as I love my family and as much as I might love you, I cannot tell you that there's no way I'll ever let you down. God is saying to us, I love you so much, and I am so powerful, I will never 
let you down. The love I have for you is incomparable. There's none like it. Which leads to kind of the second idea, the story of the Lord in Israel. Remember, it's not just a story about Hosea and Gomer. It's a story that, of, of the Lord sending Hosea into his people with Gomer to say, I want you to show them my love and call them to something. There's a response that God is wanting from his people. Notice in the story, if you read Hosea, what you don't find is Hosea ever condemning his wife. Ever. Even though all these things take place, his response to her always provides a way back. And that's one thing you can know about God's forgiveness and having a relationship with God. He doesn't, he doesn't ever want you to think about your relationship with him in such a way that you say, well, there's no way back. That's not God's way. He's the redeemer. He's the one who cherishes us. He is the covenant keeper. Hosea chapter 3, we read, I told her you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any other man. I will live with you. Now, that, that's a tough conversation to have with your wife, Right? I really want us to live together. I really don't want you to, you know, ex, you know, be a part of the escort industry or whatever. I, I'm just really opposed to it. I want you to live with me. And she goes back again and again and again. His commitment to her never changes. He continues to pursue her. He continues to chase her. What you're seeing, that kind of love, it's called covenant, and it is a primary color in the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 17, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And it's a phrase you hear throughout the scriptures. You hear it here in Hosea. You hear it in many places where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's who I am. I'm the God of heaven and earth and you are my beloved and you will be my people. And I want you to follow my ways, not because I want to control you. I want you to follow my ways because when you follow my ways, you're going to become who I've meant for you to be. And it's beautiful and it's good. I want you to trust me. So Hosea is telling Gomer, hey, I want you to experience the dignity God has given you. I want you to be my wife, and I want to cherish you, and I want us to have this. Please don't go do that. And yet she continues to, and he's faithful. And one of the primary colors of the Scriptures is God's covenant faithful to us. And another is our response. Like, how do we respond to God's covenant faithfulness? What does it mean to respond? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 6 Matthew 22, Luke 10, all talk about this way of responding to God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. If you want to know what what Hosea wants from Gomer, what the Lord's wanting from Israel, that's it. To actually love him with all of who they are. It's not condemnation. It's not even about owning something. It's about turning toward him. It's about experiencing his love. What did they love? What did God's people love? Well, we read about it in Hosea chapter 11. Uh, Let's see here. When Israel was a child, this is verse 1, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to Baals. They burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking him by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them, because they refuse to repent? 
So what did they love? Well, they, they worshiped Baals, and the reason they worshiped Baal was for, it was for a fertility god. And so they wanted a harvest, and they felt like, this is the God that can give us what we want here, instead of trusting in the Lord. Well, what else did they do? They burned incense to images. They thought, you know what? If I can burn these incense, maybe I can convince this God to do what I want. And maybe he'll do it if I do this incense, like he'll be pleased enough with me. It's a very different kind of relationship than the one that God has with us because God doesn't want us to wonder if he'll respond. And he doesn't want us to think that we have to do certain things in order for him to love us. In fact, again, think of the story of Hosea and Gomer. Even when we're actively moving away from him, he's chasing after us. He's trying to gather us. God's ways are like cords of human kindness. It's like raising, he raises us to his cheek. He feeds them, we read here in Hosea chapter 11. And they're just, they're, the result of this is that they walk away. Why? They walk away because they don't actually believe what God has for them is best. They don't actually believe what God has for them is what they really need. They're not trusting in him, even though he says, I'm the one who healed them. I'm the one who's cared for them. And then we read it in verse 5. Will they not return to, um, will they not return to Egypt? Back into bondage, back into slavery. Remember in the Pentateuch in Exodus or in Genesis? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? What does God want from them? What does he want from them? If you were to read this and determine what does the Lord want from Israel, what is it? Because they refuse to repent. Do you know what it means to repent? It means to turn away from something that's bringing difficulty and death and turn towards the Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus tells us that his resurrection becomes our resurrection as we put our faith in him. That the distance we feel between ourselves and the Father, for whatever reason, maybe it's self-inflicted or because of deep pain and struggle in your life, whatever it is, God says, if you will trust in me, my grace will be sufficient for you. To repent means to turn towards him. They're turning towards Baal. They're turning towards incense for different things. And he's saying, will they just return to me? If you were the Lord and Israel had turned away from you, what would you how would you respond well, let me just ask you, think about a relationship you have where someone has wronged you. And I don't mean you kind of think they wronged you. I mean, they are 100% wrong. Typically, my response is something like, okay, well, you know, off with their head or whatever. You know, like, <laughs> fine, we're done here. It's so ungodly. God's response is to chase after, to love, that actually God's ways say that in reconciliation, you will find the thing your heart most longs for, not in executing justice, that that's a lie. In other words, it's an idol. It's telling us I'll be satisfied if I can just get vengeance. You'll be satisfied if you can experience forgiveness. You'll be satisfied if you can experience reconciliation. Well, that doesn't sound good. Well, good, don't listen to me. Listen to the scriptures. God calls us to live into who he is. See, verse five is a call to hope. It's a call to turn, to turn back to God. Verse 6, or uh, let's see here, verse 7. My people are determined to turn from me, even though they call me God Most High. I will by no means exalt them. And so God's saying, I'm not going to be passive. I'm not going to pretend like there isn't something wrong here. Remember, Hosea tells Gomer, hey, I want us to have like a faithful marriage. That's where you're going to thrive. That's where I'm going to thrive. Let's do that. God calls out to his people. He's like, I'm not just going to overlook this, but I am going to watch over you. I am going to, trans, I'm going to transfer you from, as we read here, from a valley of, of doom to a door of hope. 
I'm going to take you from a place where you're experiencing all this trouble, and I'm going to take you to a place where you can experience God's grace. I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. The ways of the Lord are right. The the righteous walk in them. God is inviting us to experience his grace, just like he's doing for Israel here. What Gomer doesn't need is more rules. That's not what she needs. What Israel doesn't need is more laws, like they've they've already been given the scriptures. You know, what you actually don't need is to beat yourself up or to go find the new self-help book, or to figure out how many sermons you can listen to in one day because maybe it'll finally stick. That's not what you need. What you need is to bask in this reality that we find right here. Forgive all your sins and receives us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips to, to actually turn towards the Lord. Verse four of chapter 14. I will heal their waywardness. I will love them freely. And my anger has turned away from them. I will be like due to them. Do you see God's approach? God's telling Israel, you're trying to get favor from another God and it won't even answer to you. I'm giving you my favor and I'm asking you to turn and receive it. Which kind of brings us to this story of Jesus and us. Jonathan Edwards, who was a North American theologian, arguably the best, said this, the saints' love to God is the fruit of God's love to them. Do you hear that? The saints' love to God, how do we get love for God, is the fruit of God's love to us. It doesn't work the other way. As we experience God's love, we're able to begin to express it. He says, it is the gift of that love, that that love for God is a gift from him. God gives them a spirit of love for him because he loved them from eternity. God has loved you from eternity. Who loves you like that? His love is the foundation of their regeneration and the whole of their redemption. This morning, God is calling us to turn towards him. And there's kind of two Let me see how I'm doing okay. There's kind of two little relationships that you see from Hosea 14 that I'm just going to point out here briefly. There's the Christ as the faithful husband and Christ as the faithful son. This imagery of Christ being actually the faithful husband is throughout the scriptures. And there's there's imagery of him uh, moving towards us and trying to draw us in like you think of a husband and a wife. Listen to Hosea chapter 2 verses 14 and 15. This is God's word for you this morning. This is how God's responding to you. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I'm going to draw her in. She seems disinterested, and so I'm going to allure her. I'm going after her. You know, I don't know where you are in your journey of knowing Jesus. There's enough of us in here. Some of us us have had great weeks. Some of us have had horrible weeks. This is what is true for all of us at this moment. The king of heaven and earth looks at you, Jesus, the Lord of all, the bridegroom, at this moment is seeking to allure you. Be humbled by it. Be wooed by it. Know that God's grace is accessible to you. Not because of anything you have done or have not done, but because that's how Jesus rolls. 
I am going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak to her tenderly. There I will give her back her vineyards and I'll make the valley of anchor a door of hope. Valley of anchor means a, a valley of trouble. I will take the valley of trouble and make it a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. When you think about your relationship with God, with Jesus, one, of them is, one way to think about it is that he's like a faithful, passionate husband who's seeking after you to allure you. And when you're disinterested, he starts getting creative with different kinds of dates. He wants to move toward us and chase after us. You know, recently, one of my sons, he watches this YouTube channel where they show like dehydrated food and stuff. And they did dehydrated like Jolly Ranchers and dehydrated Starburst and dehydrated Sour Patch Kids. And, and every single time they blindfold someone, they put the candy in their mouth and they're like, ooh, I know exactly what it is. And they're 100% wrong. Like they never get it right. It's been dehydrated. It's not as it was meant to be. You may feel dehydrated in your faith. You may feel like just the life's gone out of it. Jesus wants you to hear this message. Whatever ideas you've had about God in the past or whatever ones you're struggling with at the moment, this is from God's word. He's seeking to allure you as his own. Like as intimate and special as a husband and a wife are meant to be. It's an incomparable love. Mark chapter 2 says, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? Talking about himself. They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day they will, they will fast. Revelation 19.6, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her, given to, her to wear. God is chasing after us even this morning as his bride it's why we say we're saved by grace and through faith. And we're not saved by figuring it all out and having all the right answers and having everything together as a parent or as a couple or in your own life. It, it's because those things aren't together you need to understand that Jesus is seeking to allure you, not the other way around. So Jesus is our faithful husband, but also Christ as the faithful son. In Hosea chapter 11, verse 10 we read these words, they will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. There's all sorts of imagery about who Jesus is here in Hosea, pushing, looking forward to his promises. In fact, Paul in Romans 9 quotes Hosea twice. In Matthew chapter 2, we read this. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night. They left Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, parentheses, Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. Why is that a big deal? Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Jesus is the one that we see here who is the faithful son, the one who turns towards the Lord, the one we read about in verse 10, they will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children will come trembling, not because they're terrified of his love, but because they finally have the one they most need. 
Hosea 14, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. I I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Christ as our faithful husband, Christ as the faithful son, God is inviting us into a story where we enter the story as the ones who are being pursued and chased. And if you want to place yourself in the story, you don't actually get to choose Hosea. You get to choose Gomer. That's your only option. And what you learn is is that Gomer is the object of God's affections. He's the object of Hosea's affections. And it's the kind of love that brings her back to life over and over and over again. And God wants you to experience that. Let me close with this illustration. Obviously, September 11th has been heavy on our hearts. Um, you know, those of you who are maybe you know, 20 or younger, it may be more difficult for you. But for those of us who remember specifically things about that day, um, it, was, it was tragic. It was such a horrible thing. But there were stories that came out of it. And some were... Um, almost comic book-like. I mean, did you hear about the guy, the 9-11 surfer? You probably heard about him, right? He's on the 42nd floor of the second tower, got down to the 20th floor, and then jumped out the window and was on concrete and rode the concrete 20 floors down and then survived, right? It's incredible as he tells his story. Or perhaps about um, the Flight 93, where uh, Todd is, you know, before he dies, he says the Lord's Prayer and then you know, those famous words, let's roll, right? I had a friend who was in the World Trade Center uh, whenever those towers dropped. Walker, one of Walker's teachers had a brother who barely escaped alive. Like, we're way here down in Texas and very much impacted by what, those things that happened 20 years ago, just right here in our own little community. Uh, the sto- there's a story also that in the rubble, they found a Bible. It was open to Matthew chapter 5. It's unreal. Um, but just a couple verses from that. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not, do not even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do you see the incomparable love coming through that text. Jesus chases after us as our faithful husband. He chases after us as the faithful son. And he invites us to be at the center of God's affections, to be allured by him. If you're not a Christian or if you have friends who aren't, the real story to ask, the real question to ask from this is, okay, if I don't have the love of God, then, then what kind of love do I have? Like, is it the kind of love that can compare to this? And I just have never seen anything else that compares to this. This kind of selfless love, this kind of love that says, no matter what, I'm going to chase after you. The one that says, in order for me to love you, I'm going to have to die on the cross. I'm going to have to bleed so that you can experience life. Do you know love like that? And if you are a Christian, then take great hope. Be encouraged today. The one who seeks after you allures you even this morning. And he's not interested in you figuring out if you measure up. You already do. You're one of his children. It's like a child who says, I can swim, and you let him swim, and they begin to fall, you know, fall into the water. And you don't just say, well, I try to warn you. You pick them up, and you know they're going to jump again, but that's part of the process because you're going to chase after them no matter what. God chases after us this morning so that we might experience his incomparable grace.
Let's pray together as we approach the table. Lord Jesus, we do come before you this morning, and as we read about this kind of love that we see in the minor prophet Hosea, that you're one who enables us to be fruitful. You're one who enables us to be um, the recipients of your love. But the thing that really moves us is to know that no matter where we are, you are faithful to us, that you have made covenant promises to us that you will be our God and we will be your people. Would you increase our faith, enable us to actually believe that your grace and your goodness are that real and good and true for us. We put our trust in you, Lord Jesus. Amen.